Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. My name is Dave Clark, and with me is the man who makes my pizza orders after Domino started hanging up on me, Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil? Good. Today we have Optimus Prime from IDW by John Barber and Priscilla Tremontano and Department H by Matt and Suzanne Kind. So we're starting with the one which, as usually happens with my picks, was based on a property that's decades old. I guess Transformers. I'm a little bit too young to have grown up with the Transformers, and I think it was part of the reason I was utterly baffled by this comic. And I grew up with a different set of Transformers. I was I watched Beast Wars a lot as a kid, so my Transformers are human-sized robots who turn into animals that are way too big to be in disguise, not these blocky things. That's blocky. That's kind of the adjective that we'll be using a lot here, I imagine. Yeah, they um. The designs of the Transformers, I will probably work well as toys, but as far as communicating a story in comics, they are very awkward. A lot of them look identical. Like oh, yes. Optimus Prime is thankfully kind of distinct by being red with a blue helmet, but yeah, for the rest of them, it's hard telling who's who, to be honest. Yeah, that and he has the faceplate for most of it, but when you can see him with a mouth and nose, he looks just like every other Transformer here. Not only are they based on toys, they're based on toys whose purpose is to transform from one shape to another shape, so there really isn't much room to have fluidity of motion. Maybe they could do it like the movie Transformers and have them look completely different because for the movie generation, they they don't have any hint of looking like vehicles in robot form, which means that the, for the toys, they can't just send all the car and truck parts into wherever, whatever dimension they go. They have like huge chunks of vehicle hanging off them I guess supposed to be armor, but anyway, even if I even if we had Prime walking around with a giant truck car on his back, it'd still be preferable to have it giving him so little motion as long as he could, as long as he could actually emote physic in terms of body language and facial expressions. Yeah, it's it's an odd one this. It's in addition to The story is cut between events happening four million years ago and today, which I'm not sure if they actually overlap in this comic at all. Like, I'm not... All the action in the past is happening to... Trying to find the name of the character. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so in the past, we open with... Okay, the guy... The guy with the red shoulder pads and the wings is Jetfire, and the guy with the missile sticking out of his back and the two red horns is Prowl. I guess they show, they have a roll call page which shows faces of them, but that doesn't really mean anything when 
there's so little distinction between faces. Yeah, as far as ways to communicate who's who, I guess the most direct way is just to have a roll call page. Like, yeah, they do have that early on, and it lists, like, headshots, like, the characters that are taking place in the present story, the characters that are taking place in the past story. As I kind of forgot about that, because all these guys look the same, and none of the characters in the past are in the present story, so I'm sure there's some payoff to this eventually, but... For this comic, it just feels utterly bizarre. Yeah, you've got you got this story happening four million years ago, and a story happening today. And in the today story, you've got like the robots are clearly giant compared to like tiny people that are walking around, and they're building like huge buildings, like their construction equipment. And then you turn the page, and you see a transformer casually walking into an office. With... Well, they're transformers of different sizes. Are but... they? Yeah. Oh, Lord, this is absurd. Well, it's. I know that we can't really just really go into the story of this because you don't know much, if anything, about the Transformers, and I know about different Transformers than the ones here. Oh, hit me with what I've got to understand. Okay, so from what I gather, standard Transformers are like 30 feet tall, which is what we see. There are also like some smaller Transformers, mini-cons that are human size or smaller. And wait, you're talking about the big two-page spread of the construction of Little Cybertron, right? No, I was talking about the first page where it's got all the robots standing around building stuff. Ah, okay. Well, if it that's four million years ago, it's on Cybertron. So everything is scaled to standard size Transformers. Wait, no, that has to be present day, because immediately below it, there's people talking about how it's great that they're helping Earth. The first page is Cybertron, the third page is on... No, no, on the first uh, page, there's people. Where? I don't see... In the bottom left-hand corner. The first page? You mean the previously page? Yeah. I don't know what the deal with that is, but those are comics I haven't read, and probably won't. So wait, this people- page... This comic really has a like a like a page setting up that his robots building like cyber, mini Cybertron, and then yeah. the rest of the story is robots building like some Earth thing. Well, there is con- I don't know. Everyone keeps saying how great the Transformers comics have been lately, but I just can't follow this. I, and since it's there was barely any action in this, and at least if there were action, there'd be something visually exciting to look at. But here it's kind of like an episode of The West Wing where everyone's wearing refrigerators, except a few humans. Yeah, it's weird to go from scenes of like the Transformers. Like when I was reading this, I assumed everyone was, all the Transformers were basically the same size. And you cut from scenes of the like the Transformers being construction equipment to rebuild stuff on Earth, and then you cut to four million years ago with one of the robots in a noir adventure, and they get beat up in a back alley. Yeah, that that is confusing, and I think I, I should say now that this is not the artist's fault at all. Who's, because whose fault do you think it is then? I think it's partially the fault of ha- the house style that seems to be required for all these Transformers books. I don't, 
the and this clear style guides for all the characters. Yeah, like there's... the only people I I can actually identify with here are the woman president, the GI Joe agent, who I guess they're in a shared universe of Hasbro toys, and the woman he's talking to. Other than that, it's and even in the few action scenes, like the noir scene with Jetfire being beaten up in a back alley, like that has to be one of the most awkward kicks to the face I've ever seen. I know these are alien robots that turn into vehicles and animals, but I still can't buy the way they move because, and it's not like there's much effort to put movement over the designs you see even when you see joints they're like hard ratchety joints yeah returning to them being toys there's a bit of an unfortunate thing that happens that because these are toys they have colors that they're supposed to be like i imagine somewhere there's a style guy that says this is the shade of red that optimus prime has and this is the shade of blue like his helmet's supposed to be, and so on and so on for all the colours. So, like, when it comes time to actually do something like a noir scene, which you'd expect it to be very shadowy and desaturated, they're still walking around and everything's still bright as hell. Yeah, they're, they're always shiny, even in low light. Not yeah. to mention, like, there's a scene towards the end with three... Transformers who all have the same green and red color scheme, and I guess they're a part of a unit that combines to make a one super robot. But still, like, yeah, it's... yeah. If we can divert from the talking about the art just for a second, yeah, it felt very weird to read a Transformers comic that occasionally asked you to consider heavy, like moral problems it's not impossible you can do there's no reason that you can't talk about police brutality in a comic about giant robots it's hard to pull off but i have no but if it is pulled off here i don't see it because i don't really know what's going on they're just talking about things that happened and admittedly, I'm coming in on issue seven of a series that's... This is a mini-series tying out of the two ongoing series that IDW have. And I, at the comic store, I got one of their reading chronologies. And it's all over the place what they want you to read and when. It's not like a simple volume one, volume two, volume three. They're taking the Marvel tactic of a lot of reboots and a lot of tie-ins. That seemed to work for Marvel, I guess. Look yeah. for sales. But yeah, this is... It's hard to know what to make of this one. Well, I think the humans are well rendered in that kind of anime style. I guess that's another part of whatever house style that, that IDW and Hasbro want for these books. Yeah, oh, and randomly... We've got Optimus Prime floating in a back to tank. Was that explained, or is that Floating. or is that a diff- that's okay? That is a different robot. That, oh, that, I mean, in that scene, there's RC, who's a female robot. You can tell that because she has lipstick and pink armor, and I guess kind of a triangular shaped chest. Yeah, mo- moving on from a female robot. Well, yeah, you wonder why these alien 
mechanical life forms have the same binary gender set up that humans espouse, but it's... Oh my, I just, I just noticed something. Yes? On, yeah, on the, on the previously page, they've got, it's like a bende dot pattern overlaid over the panel. Huh. And when you, yeah, at first I thought that was supposed to show the past, because when you, wait, no, no, I, I... Must have got, I thought they were using the Bende dot pattern to show the past, but no, they aren't. It's just on some panels. No. Yeah, it's... Here's a question. Do you think that using these these Generation 1 designs, someone could do a really visually great Transformers comic? Hmm. I mean, I'm thinking back to the Transformers Devastation game, which was extremely exciting because it's by Platinum Games and I never and I felt like the designs weren't really suited to the kind of split second timing and elaborate combo moves those games require. Yeah. But how, I still enjoy it. How fast and agile could something the size of a crane really be? Yeah, I very fast and agile, though it doesn't really read that way when it's just a bunch of red and blue blocks stacked on top of each other in a vaguely humanoid form. Yeah, I like I could imagine something human focused, but I imagine that's not what Transformers fans want to see, really. No, they want to see fighting robots. Though there are there is our humans here. There is a lot of talk, and it's just. Is this what people feel like trying to read the X-Men? This must be. Eh, I I didn't have so much trouble when I was... Like, I'm not a big X-Men reader, but I managed to get a little bit more out of it when we did an X-Men comic. We did X-Men Gold, and that was explicitly designed as a restart, like a fresh jumping on point. I guess for this, we're coming in the middle, and it's really difficult to discern what's going on it doesn't really feel like it doesn't really feel like the middle because everyone's sitting around talking about the things that are coming and like oh we're in this situation and we're up we're concerned about what's going to happen in the future oh this is a status quo this could almost be an issue one or the beginning of a new arc but it's still if it wasn't issue one it would be issue one of a tie-in to a long history of existing transformers comics so yeah sorry transformers fans i we don't get it well i would consider myself a transformers fan just this is why i haven't been able to read the comics because even when i've been able to discern what's going on the art style just doesn't work for for comics maybe if they use a different design sense and we're more concerned about like does this look like optimus prime is moving and emoting rather than does he have the right proportions to his big red blocky arms and his huge blue shins and whatnot yeah Ah, well. I, I hope I can redeem some of my Transformers fan street cred by saying that I haven't had this problem with several of the cartoons, though in recent years the cartoons have used much more fluid designs. And I'm sure, like, if this were a Transformers Prime comic using those designs and that aesthetic, I'd be fine with it. Yes, the art, there's nothing wrong with the art. I would be fine reading the artist's work elsewhere, just not here. I... You're perhaps the more generous of the two of us. Well, it's kind of a setup-to-fail thing for a certain aesthetic. I imagine this is not aimed at 
new readers or a wide audience is aimed at people who have three digit collections of transformers yeah odd place to jump on i guess well that's what we're doing we pick up comics that come out based on the pictures and if the pictures weren't so dull and clunky then we might have more to say about this anyway moving on to department h issue 14 yeah this was a much better comic that's basically the inverse of the Transformers comic we've read in every single way. Yeah, there's quite a bit different here. Um, I've read some of Matt Kint's previous stuff, but um, none of this Department H one. I haven't read Department H, but I did read when he worked on Super Spy and when he did the graphic novel 3-4 Story about a 50-foot man. Surprisingly sensitive biography take on this giant person and this is in the same vein i know matt kent does do company-owned work he's written jla but this is clearly where his passion is i guess he's a lot like jeff lemire in the sense that he they both do creator-owned work and company-owned work and they're creator-owned work, especially from an art perspective, couldn't get them arrested at Marvel or DC, but in its own context, works really well and has like kind of a really rough, organic, kind of outsider art style to it. Yeah, it's... it. Like, when I went back to look at the credits for this, I was kind of surprised to see two names. Then I imagine uh, Charlene Kint is his wife and is doing coloring. Suzanne, I believe... Is it Charlene or Suzanne? But on the cover, yeah. Charlene. Oh, hold on. This well, it's it's still a com- a comic where the coloring is very organic. This is, it's clearly watercolors. Yeah, and like I don't even think it's inked. Like it may just be like like a heavy pencil. I think it's probably inked because the when there are blacks like in the backgrounds, they're very thick. I, I uh, suppose. Well, that could almost be a charcoal. Yeah, but even the paper itself, it's rendered on both on screen and on paper to look like kind of old, pulpy newsprint. Yeah, there's there's not much effort to hide that this is, like, drawings on paper. It's almost as if, like, it's been drawn on a scrap of paper and directly handed to you, rather than gone through a whole, like, process of like printing and what have you to make it seem very official and professional this is much more direct i'd guess yeah even with the watercoloring like you can see how it's not when there's an intense color there's like kind of a glow around it of lighter paper which it doesn't look like it's light glowing it just the effect like in the beginning with the shark feeding frenzy and the blood of the other fish there's splotches of light red around the area. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a good way of showing blood underwater as it dissipates into the ocean. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to show something happening in water, watercolor kind of fits. It's interesting you say Matt Kint does writing for other comics companies because this is almost an exercise in like communicating as much with the writing as, and composition as possible. I, like, I did enjoy reading this comic, but if you took... I don't think you could really take any single panel and, like, point to it and say, like, this would be, like, a good poster or something. Like, the faces are very uh, loose and suggestive. 
Yeah, and kind of average to ugly all over. Like, there's nothing glamorous about anyone here. And I think that's something that's a shock because not just in other comics, but we watch TV and movies where Hollywood actors are cast and made up. So when, so the shapes of the heads, the wrinkles, the noses, the everything looks just kind of plain and pedestrian, which is good because these are scientists. They don't really have the time to get all dressed up. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, Matt Kitt is clearly a guy who's very interested in like comics specifically as a medium like he's like he's very conscious about the composition of how things are laid out yeah a lot of it does use pretty typical grid layouts some with widescreen panels others with nine panel grids there's that one page where philip the the rich scientist is talking about his theories and you see like concentric overlapping circles of various technologies like the typewriter and the gun and the atom bomb that's but that's one of the few places where it really deviates from the standard comic layouts yeah but uh even within that like on the page immediately over we see like there's like an establishing shot of this weird science facility out on the water with these like separate pods and that's kind of an interesting compositional thing. Yeah. And as he's, like, he's made an effort to, like, on the following pages, there's, like, these curved windows, and they sort of, like, that's almost separating the two characters. It is. They put it just the right place. Yeah, and, yeah, it's, I could all, like, I don't know anything about Matt Kint's background, but I could almost imagine him, like, really wanting to be a comic writer. Being yeah. able to find an artist and then deciding that, well, I will I understand en- enough about the composition for the story I want to tell, I'll just draw it myself. That's and it, the way it worked for me. Yeah, and it kind of, yeah, I don't know, there's something charming to it being so loose, but also so good. Yeah, but, well, it does, we just read a comic that was incredibly sleek and fastidious in its professionalism and was completely uninteresting. Yeah. And in this one, we get, like, yeah, even jump... This, like, similarly to the last one, which sort of worked as an issue one, this, like, sort of worked as an issue to jump in. Well, just about the one guy, Jerome, and his tragic end. Yeah, just him talking about his life and his past. Eventually falling into the mouth of some kind of giant sea creature. Yeah. Although, weirdly, when you open the page, they show these Japanese robots... And they make a big deal out of them, and then they aren't in the comic. I think that's just extra matter, like the design of the diving suit at the back. They're beautiful designs. They're incredibly clunky, but in a good way, because they're not designed for a wide range of motion. They wouldn't really function out of water. And you can see like the tu- all the tubing and cables hooking them together. Not really something you'd actually want to get into. Yeah, it's quite a find, this one. Also, on some of the pages, they've got stuff on the side of them that makes them look like a textbook. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just the flashback pages have, like, a weird, like, stylized thing on the side that reminds me of, like, old science textbooks I used to have. Yeah, other than the big page, 
played with the bleeds and the concentric circles, they all use that backing. Yeah, I remember that was a thing uh, Matt Kint did in mind management. There was all sorts of like stuff written along the sides of pages, like as if they were from some in-world document. Yeah, I always like when they do that. You can even see like ink stains on the piece at the end, the diving suit diagram. The yeah. what now? Towards the end of the comic, there's an image of an early prototype Department H dive suit, and you can see like stains on the page, even stains that you can see through the figure. Yeah, I just, well, now that you mention it, that could be an in-world document. I just, I'd first just assumed it was like something Matt Kitten had drawn and was including, because it's like interesting back matter. But yeah, it's interesting how like it kind of matches up with the story about the scientist talking about his life that didn't quite go perfectly, and he just managed to get by, but it also like lines up with the art, which is like effective, but yeah, not super, super polished. Yeah, but it was a lot more entertaining. True. Although, if this, if this same art had been applied to that Transformers script... That would have been interesting. It could have been a disaster, though. Well, I'm sure that fans of Transformers would think so. Fans of different Transformers, like me, might not. But then, that's an audience who's very trained to accept only certain types of media with the more glamorous presentation. I'm sure there could be a really great Transformers comic with an outsider art style. I know that there was that Transformers vs. G.I. Joe series by Tom Scioli that everyone's been going about on about. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe we'll have to read that one of these days. I've seen some images. They make the characters literally look like toys. Yeah, this one... It was a little tricky at first because you're jumping into a book that's got like there's like five characters in the f- in like the first panel with people, but as it sort of scales down and it just becomes about Jeremy, oh sorry Jerome, yeah, yeah, then it's like it's very careful to like limit the number of characters that are going on. I'm not sure this could handle like like a cast of like how many named characters do you think were in that Transformers book? Like 15, 20? In, ter- in terms of main characters, there's the humans, and then there's the six characters listed on the roll call. But there's a huge cast of characters who I guess are all accurately rendered to the toys just appearing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure how this would adapt to something with a, with a very large cast. But yeah, it's sort of perfect at what it is. So yes, well, will you be returning to any of these comics? I might return to Department H, though, though again, there's a lot of other things I still have to catch up on. I will not be returning to Transformers. Maybe if someone gives me a clear path to catch up, I might read some of the more recent ones. But even then, it's not a particularly compelling book, especially when the art style is so cold. Oh, you're inviting some trouble now. You're going to get all sorts of Transformers fans giving you their reading lists. Reading lists I can handle. I thought you were going to say, like, death threats. No, no, Transformers fans are a a mild-mannered bunch, I'm sure. Yes, what could go wrong? Yes, that's been Optimus Prime issue 7 and Department H issue 14. But yes, where can people find you online? Google Wirecats, W-Y-R-E, cats, to find me and my many sites. 
Yep, and you can find me at daveclarkart.com, and that's Clark with an E. But yes, until next time, catch you around. See ya. Bye.